Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave. Uh, it's good to be here with you to open God's Word and hear it together. Uh, so you've got Malachi there. Uh, flick back to that. Have that open in front of you. That'd be good to see. And uh, the words will be on the screen as well. But have it in front of you, which is better. And hello to all those joining us on the live stream as well. Good to have you with us. Now, this is week six of Malachi, within this Old Testament prophet. Um, and this is our last week as well in this book. Uh, it's been a confronting book, as we saw in the first week. Uh, we saw it as a prophecy, and we saw that word also carries this meaning of burden. Uh, it, it's like a load put on the back that is heavy, and it's like God has given this message to Malachi uh, that is heavy, that he must take to the people Israel and unload it on them. And, and that's because, as we saw in that video, the people have returned to the land out of exile. They're there physically, but they have not returned spiritually to God. Uh, instead, they're just drifting through their religious routines and they're beginning to doubt God's faithfulness. And serving God to them is feeling like a burden. And so God sends his prophet Malachi uh, to his people to get them back on track, right? calling them to return to him, isn't he? Return to uh, faithfulness to the covenant. Return in obedience and trust. Right? Return and wait for me to fulfill my promises to you because they are not far away. Little did they know that very soon these promises would be fulfilled. And it's that context that really makes the book of Malachi really relevant for us today because we're in a similar position to them. Uh, as Simon was saying, Jesus has come. We remember that at Christmas time. But we also remember that he is coming again. And we live in this time in between, which is a time of waiting. Right, remember that first coming of Jesus to our world, born of the Virgin? Uh, but that turns us uh, to look to his second coming because uh, he didn't just come as this cute baby. He came as the promised King of Israel who died and rose again for the salvation of his people. And we know now he's ascended to heaven, but he will come again to finish what he has started. And so that day is not far away for us. And that's exciting. It's a bit like Christmas Eve. When you're a kid especially, it can feel like, man, that is a long way away. You know, 100 days to Christmas. Man, I'm never going to get there. But then it's a week away. And then before you know it, it'll be Christmas Eve. And before you know it, you won't be able to sleep. You'll be that excited. right? And so we believe Jesus Christ is coming soon. And that is exciting. And it's not far away. But, but how often do we think like that? How often do we talk about that with one another? Right, when was the last time that you encouraged someone with that hope? When was the last time you encouraged yourself with that hope? You see, because we face those same challenges that God's people faced in Malachi, uh, of just drifting in worship and just having half-hearted devotion and, and just losing sight of those promises that are coming very soon. And so this is where Malachi can help us today to, to remember these promises and to live in light of them now as we wait for God to fulfill them. Right, to live as God's faithful servants uh, as we wait for Jesus to come again. So hopefully uh, we can be encouraged in that this morning. And so we're going to follow that same little pattern we've been following the last few weeks, which is what does it mean to them then, Israel? How does it point us to Jesus as the Old Testament does that? And then what does it mean for us now, today, as we live as followers of Jesus. 
And we've also seen that each of the, the arguments in the book of Malachi, six of them, have this similar structure. Uh, God makes the confronting statement. The people respond in a questioning, not good kind of way. Next slide, thanks, Anton. And then God gives a final answer in response to the people. We see that again uh, in this argument. So firstly, we see the statement and the question in verse 13 to 15. So have a look at that. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. They're speaking these arrogant words against God. They're really harsh and critical words. And they're saying, God is unfair. Right? Evildoers prosper. Right? People that speak against God, put him to the test, they get away with it. Right? They sort of think God is like this boss who is rewarding the bad employees. You know those employees who, who arrive late, who leave early, who are kind of hiding in the back room when there's work to be done? You know, those who maybe they're stealing from the register? And the employer, the boss, he, he promotes them. While the good employees, those that are working hard, uh, they are getting nothing for it. They're saying, God's like that. So serving God is futile. It makes no difference. Now, the way that God responds to this is really interesting. I find it interesting. Um, the focus shifts from this arrogant group of people that are speaking against God to another group of people that we see in verse 16. Uh, and this is a really beautiful picture, a group described as those who fear the Lord. So have a look at this, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Now, from the first time that I heard this, right, getting ready for this series months ago, listening to it over and over again, it was this verse and this image that just was burned into my mind. And I thought I'd love to be able to kind of project the image that I had for you to see as well, but I can't really do that. But I heard that AI can do it now, artificial intelligence. Right? You can punch in some words and it will spit out a picture of what is in your head. I thought, oh, this would be great. Um, but... It didn't go as, as planned. Here's the pictures that I actually got. It was, you know, doesn't look that amazing, does it? Pretty boring. Um, not, not as vivid and, and visual as it was in my mind. But I think, I think we're going to see here that what is going on with this group is quite amazing. Right, this is a picture of God's faithful people. Right, remember, there's all those around them that are speaking against God. All those around them that are causing them to doubt the promises of God and, and deny him. But, but this small group, they meet together and they're talking and, and we're not told what they're saying. But you get the impression they're talking about, you know, what, is, what does faithfulness look like in our circumstances? Right, because, because they too, they see, the, they see the wicked prospering, right? they are experiencing the famine and, and the drought and the poverty and the oppression of all God's people, uh, but they're gathering, they're not gathering to speak against God. They don't say serving him is futile. Right? These are those that fear God. 
They stand in awe of his greatness. And these are those who want to honour the Lord. They want to walk in obedience to him. So they're getting together and say, how are we going to do that? How do we do that as God's people? And the truly amazing thing that you cannot see in these pictures is who is watching and who is listening. It is God. He's watching, he's listening, and he writes their names on a scroll of remembrance. In other words, these people are in God's good books. Not just, not just now, for some time, but for, for eternity, forever. Right? And, and this distinction that God makes between the, the wicked and the righteous is not something that we can easily see in this life because they can look the same. Right? Th- this group of people might go on suffering. Right? The wicked might go on prospering. But a day is coming where it will be clearly seen by everyone. The day that God acts in judgment is going to show this vast divide between those who serve God and those who do not. And that's what we see in verses 17 to 18. And here is, here is God's final answer to the arrogant in Israel. Verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Talking about those who fear the Lord. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. It goes on to picture the day that God acts like a rising sun. right? And it has has these two different effects on on people. For the wicked... Uh, it, is, it brings a destructive heat. Okay, verse 1, it burns them up completely without root or branch left. And verse 3, they become like ash. Right, it's a horrible picture. But for the righteous, uh, this sun, this rising sun brings healing with it, verse 2. And they are those that frolic in its rays. What about this picture? Like well-fed calves. Right, that is a picture of peace and joy on this day because the righteous are spared the judgment of God that the wicked get. And we've got to say it's not because they're better, it's not because they're these great law keepers that have earned this, deserved it in some way, but we can see it's because God has compassion on them. Like a father has compassion on his son who serves him. It's not because they are righteous in themselves, but it's because God counts their faith as righteousness. Just like he did for Abraham. They believed his promises. God counts it as righteousness. And it's, it's because God has chosen them to be his treasured possession. Like we saw in week one, when God chose Jacob to be his. Right, These are God's treasured possession. His people. And so this is an encouragement for that small group who fear the Lord Uh, not to give up. Uh, Don't become like the world around you. Keep looking to the promises of God and living in light of them, knowing that that serving God is not a wasted life because that day that he comes in judgment will be a day of joyful salvation for those who trust him. And so now we come to the end of Malachi. Malachi. Uh, and we come to the end of the prophets, and we come to the end of the Old Testament in our Bibles. And it's really interesting to see how it finishes. It finishes with these two summary points, like two dot points, uh, to kind of stick on the wall and remember. 
Right, and they're these two things. Remember the law of Moses, hope in the promises of God. Right, these are instructions for how to wait well. Remember the law of Moses, hope in the promises of God. We see that in verse 4 to 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else they will come and strike the land with total destruction. Right, this is what God's people are to do. Remember the law of Moses. Right? That is, hear the word of God in the scriptures and do what it says. Right? Be faithful, be obedient, fear God, honour him. Remember the law of Moses. Uh, but also hope in God's promises. Right? When you're reading God's word, believe that God will do what he says he will do. Right? So keep looking to the horizon of that promised coming of the day of the Lord. And God says he's going to signal that with the coming of Elijah. So you, you'll know it's coming, you'll know it's close. Right? And, and it was not far away. All right, so reading these summary points at the end of the Old Testament, hopefully you can see, it's not, it's not hard to see how it points us to Jesus, is it? If When you come to the New Testament and if you're reading the Gospels, uh, you might notice uh, that Moses and Elijah are mentioned together. It's the only other place in the Bible where it's mentioned besides Malachi, right? and that is the transfiguration of Jesus. When he's on the mountain and his glory is revealed for a moment, and Peter, James, and John are there. But who's also there with him? Moses and Elijah. Remember, Peter's like, I'm going to make some tents for you guys. Yeah, remember that? So that's what we're talking about. And what the gospel writers are saying at this point is that Jesus is God who has come to visit his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the prophets and the law. He is the person that they are pointing to, and he's here. And I think it's so wonderful that as we read the Gospels, right, we see people who are waiting for his coming. We see those people who are remembering the law of Moses, and we see those people hoping in the promises of God. We, we see that at the start of Luke. Right? We see Zechariah waiting for God to come, to fulfill his promises. And Zechariah is a priest. Like we heard a lot of bad things about priests in Malachi. Well, here is one uh, who is faithful. And so God, uh, an angel comes to Zechariah and he tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have this baby. Right? And we're told in Luke that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are both righteous, uh, they are both observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they are those people who are waiting. And here the angel comes with this amazing message for John saying, uh, for Zechariah, saying, your son John is going to be the promised Elijah. So Luke 1, 14 to 17, the angel says to him about his son, that he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Right, so John was the Elijah promised who came before the Lord uh, to call people, uh, make people ready, to call them to repent and to be ready for the coming of the Lord. 
right, to be ready for that dreadful day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. Right, be ready for that. That's what the Old Testament told us. Elijah's coming, and then comes the dreadful day of judgment. John's getting people ready for that. Uh, and so what happened? Uh, where is it? Was Malachi wrong? Was John wrong? Right, where is where is the great and dreadful day of the Lord when he comes and acts? Well, we see Malachi's, Malachi's prophecy, we see, is actually one play in two acts. That's a good way to think about it. One play in two acts. Act one was the coming of Jesus, where he got things started. Right? It was the beginning of the day. And then act two is when he returns in judgment to bring it to completion. And we have this time in between, which is like a real long intermission. But it's not like a time to do nothing and just, you know, go grab a, a chock top and go to the bathroom. It's actually a time to, to act. It's a time to live for the day. It's a time for good news to be proclaimed. It's time for people to repent and believe the gospel and to be counted righteous through faith in Christ. It's a time for us to be serving God faithfully as his people while we wait for the return of Jesus. And that is the day that this prophecy will be complete. It's not far away. And that is where we are today. And so then, what does this mean for us now? Well, we can learn from Malachi. We can learn about how to wait really well for the coming of Jesus. Particularly as we think about that faithful group that we pictured. Uh, they were waiting for the first coming of Jesus. They were surrounded by people who spoke against God, right? those who tempted them to doubt and to disobey him. Right? And, and that is like the world that we live in, isn't it? Now, I went up the plaza crazily at this time of year. Hopefully you don't have to. But if you do, go on a little hunt for the nativity scene in the plaza. It's pretty hard to find. Uh, it, is, it is pushed away into the corner, far away. And I think this tells us what our world thinks about Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's got some significance, but we're just going to put him over there in the corner, just out of the way. Uh, the world we live in is not a place that, that encourages us to put Jesus at the centre of our lives and to live for him. Right? If, if, if that is going to be the case for us, right, then, then we need to do it ourselves. We need to do it as God's people. And that is what we see Paul commanding the Thessalonians, I think. As we read that passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, the very end of that section read, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We need to be those who are encouraging one another. We do that by hearing the word of God, hearing the word of God, hearing the promises of God and and talking about that with each other and encouraging one another to believe and to live for that. And so some of the things that Paul talks about in this section is that are things that we can do. We can remind one another that the day of the Lord is coming. But Paul says that is a day it's going to surprise many people. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like labour pains on a pregnant woman. It's going to come suddenly and it's going to surprise them. Right, but it's not going to surprise Christians. Right, that day is not going to surprise Christians because Christians are talking about it. Right, Christians are ready for it. 
Another thing we do is, is we then encourage one another to live for that day. Right, so Paul says, let us not be like the world around us. Right, the world around us is asleep to these things. But Paul says, be awake. Right, put on faith and love and hope, faithfully serving Jesus while we wait for his coming. So Christians are people who are awake and, and, and we wake each other up. We stir each other up to be those who are ready. And finally, Paul says we assure one another that on that day that Jesus comes, that God acts, it will not be for our judgment, but it will be for our salvation. So Paul says it well in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, and he's talking about being alive or dead there, not the other one, uh, we may live together with him. All right, so we, this is why we speak about Jesus and his death and resurrection. All right, this is our guarantee that his coming will be for our salvation. Right, because Jesus, uh, he did it to make us his treasured possession. He died and rose again to make us his so we could be those who are counted righteous before God. And we know that on the day that he comes, it'll be for salvation and not judgment. And so Christians, get together and encourage one another with these amazing things. Now, you know, as I was looking through those AI pictures, and I did a lot of them, they were the best ones I could find, I just kept thinking, well, these look like growth groups, pretty much. And here's a picture of our growth group. There you go. Now, a lot of you are part of growth groups. If you take a photo of it, it's not that amazing. It's just a group of people in a lounge room um, sitting on, you know, hard metal chairs, some of those people. And, and what, but, but listen, what's going on here that we can't see uh, is so amazing. Right? This is like God's people waiting for the coming of Jesus the first time. Right? We're getting together and we are, we are talking. Right? We do this in our growth groups. We do it on Sundays as well. Uh, but every week we are coming together to remember the word of God, right? to read in there these wonderful promises for us and to say, hey, let's, let's hope in those promises. Let's live for that hope. Right? We, we encourage one another to do that. We're talking about how to live for God in light of that hope. We're talking about how to love and serve God until he comes again. Uh, that is something amazing that is going on when we get together. Uh, and even more amazing than that, we know that God is with us, that God is watching, that God is listening, that God is pleased when his people hear his word and believe and obey it. And this is what we need to keep doing in this time that we live in, right? Because this is what matters. This is what will last. Right? Serving God is never a waste of time. It is actually... It is the best use of time in this time that we live. So let us never give up meeting together and encouraging one another, remembering the word of God, hoping in his promises, knowing that he is faithful. He will do what he has promised. And Jesus is coming soon. That's exciting. Let's give thanks and let us pray to our God right now. 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, to have your word, to have your truth. Uh, We are thankful, Lord, that we have this light of hope that comes to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we know, though we are sinners, uh, that we are righteous before you by faith in Christ, who died for us and rose again. And Father, we know that he is coming back again, and we pray, Lord, in this time we live, that you would uh, help us to be faithful, help us to be those that fear you, help us to be those that honour you, and help us to be those who are faithful to your word, and those who encourage one another uh, with this amazing hope that we have. And Father, we pray you would encourage our hearts in that, so that we might be those uh, who on that day when you come will be for our salvation and not for judgment. And we thank you for the confidence we have in the Lord Jesus Christ that these things are true. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.